My name's Eric, by the way. I'm the youth pastor here. In case you haven't met me, if you go to Bailey Bridge, you may not have seen me. If you've come to Clover Hill recently, I'm also the worship leader over at, at Mosley. And um, as you know, Pastor Stan's in India, so it's a privilege to be able to come and to bring the word uh, tonight. And, and uh, I, had, I didn't have any idea what, um, what uh, Derek was going to be doing prayer about or kind of the context of the service today. But um, the Lord had laid it on my heart that tonight he wanted to talk uh, to us about adversity adversity. And uh, I don't know, have you, have any of you guys encountered adversity before? Uh, if, you, if you haven't in the past, or if you currently aren't, or uh, you, will at the, you will in the future, you will at some point, you will uh, confront adversity. It's gonna happen. And so tonight, whoa, as the stage falls apart, <laughs> I guess they don't, they don't want me talking about this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I want to. I'm here tonight because I want to encourage you about the purpose of adversity. God has a purpose in adversity. It's defined as difficulty or misfortune. Difficulty or misfortune. Have you guys have ever heard of Murphy's Law? Y'all ever heard of that? If anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. Who, I, I mean, who is this Murphy guy anyway? He is annoying. Am I, am I right? And uh, so I, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was like, I want to know who this Murphy guy is. And so I did a little research, and I found out that in the, in the late uh, 1940s, um, there was a guy by the name of, uh, of Edward Murphy. And, and they were at Edwards Air Force Base, and they were um, doing testing on, uh, on G-forces for pilots as they um, would do, you know, uh, aerial maneuvers in their planes. And so they set up like this uh, rail track and this rocket-propelled rail track or whatever that had these series of breakings. And they said that as they propelled them forward and stopped them at certain times, it would simulate G, the, the G-forces that these pilots were experiencing. And so um, Murphy had the, and his team had the job of setting up these sensors on these crafts to kind of measure how much um, G-forces they were, they, were, they, they were pulling or whatever. And so they ran their first test, and all the results came back as zero. And they're like, whoa, 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 this... This is not right. And it's reported in history that um, Murphy said of the, the, the installation guy that if there's more than one way to do a job and one of them ends in disaster, this guy will do it that way. How many, do y'all know some people like that? <laughs> I'm going to read that again. If there's more than one way to do a job and one of them ends in disaster, he'll do it that way. And so at, over time and through conversation, that got, they got condensed into... If anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. Do you, do, you, do you ever feel like sometimes Murphy's Law is more powerful than God's Law? Just being, being real sometimes. You know, like, I, I know sometimes that I feel, a way, feel that way, especially being in ministry. It's like everything is a, is a battle sometimes. I remember, um, I, it's fresh on my memory, but uh, for, for several years here at Clover Hill, here recently, um, it, I used to uh, get, I would lose my voice, it felt like, all the time. It felt like every time that uh, there was an event that I, I, I was really important, that, you know, that I, I really needed to be a worship leader and to help people engage in the presence of God, I would do it and I would lose my voice. Or I would have an opportunity to lead something and I would lose my voice before that opportunity and then I wouldn't get to do it. And then it eventually it progressed into where... Uh, I, I, for some reason, I just, 
felt like I, I couldn't control my voice really. It was just so difficult. It would be dry and like my, it felt like my strength would fade. This went on for months and months. It, I couldn't even, you probably never noticed because I faked the mess out of it, but I, but I would, uh, I mean, it, it took what, what, what was once effortless and like was free, it took every ounce of my energy and thought to, hit, to make every note clear and to do what I needed to do. And I, it would completely distract me from leading worship. And I had to just focus on everything that, that I, I was doing. And I would say, God, what is up with this? Like, you've called me to do this. You called me to, to lead worship and to lead people. Why is it so hard, right? And, and I know it's not just for ministry. It's for everything. Maybe you're, you're, you're a stay-at-home mom in this season and you're trying to raise your kids right in a godly way, but your kids are being really difficult. Or, or, or maybe you're trying to honor God with your, with your marriage, but it's in a perpetual state of conflict all the time. Maybe you're at your job trying to do your work as unto the Lord, but your boss is a pain in the neck. It just seems like sometimes no matter how hard you try, adversity seems to rear up its ugly head. And the question is, why? Why? Is, is, is the enemy equally strong as God? Am I, am I, yeah, no. Am I outside of God's will? Am I living in sin? Do I not have enough faith? It, it brings about all these questions. Why is adversity constantly at my door? Has anybody been there with me? I mean, I think you can identify with me. In Proverbs 24, it says this. I think they're going to put it on the screen. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. The righteous falls seven times and rises again. And you read that verse and you're like, well, that's encouraging. <laughs> so you're saying I'm weak and, and you're saying that I'm going to have skin knees from falling down all the time. But I want to, I want to encourage you that I'm going to kind of expound on this verse and, and, and tell you about it. But God has a purpose for, for your adversity. God has a purpose for it. And it's awesome. And so I, need, I want everybody to turn to John chapter 11. We're gonna, we're, I'm a teacher by, by nature, and, and I just want to walk through this passage. So if you could turn me to John chapter 11. It's a rich story on, on adversity, and, and I just want to take you through it. I know they say you're not supposed to read a lot of Scripture, but hey, this, we're at church, right? That's what we do. We read Scripture together. And so uh, why don't you, it's all going to be on the screen. Why don't you read along with me? And it's a story I'm sure you're all familiar with. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Mar- uh, from, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, "Lord, he, he whom you love is ill." But when Jesus heard it, he said, "This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God." so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And I want to stop there because right there is, is the, pretty much encapsulates the story. You have the introduction, introduction to the characters. You have Mary, it says, remember the woman who, who poured the perfume on Jesus' feet? Remember the woman that, that Jesus was like, don't stop her from doing this? Like, people are going to talk about this story forever. He said, he who is forgiven much, loves much, this is the, the woman, and it's her sister, and in her brother. He, this, it unveils the characters, the author does. And then they, they tell you the problem. The, the one whom you love is ill. Lazarus is ill. 
That's the adversity that they're about to face. And then the purpose. And this is what I really want to unwrap tonight is that this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Adversity is the pathway to the greatest glory. That's my message tonight. Adversity is the pathway to the greatest glory. God is writing a glory story with your adversity. And it's going to be awesome. Let's read on from there. Verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Did y'all hear that? That doesn't make no sense at all. The other night, I, I, I just had, this doesn't happen very often, it's very rare, but I had a bad day. And, uh, and so, and I was just feeling kind of discouraged and kind of down. And so, um, uh, Talia, my wife, she was at a friend's house, hanging out with a friend. And so, I got on the phone, and I called her up, and I said, I said, Honey, I'm, not, I'm having a terrible day, and I need you to come home. I'm feeling discouraged. I'm feeling down. And she said, okay, I'll, I'll be right there, right? It wasn't but like 10 or 15 minutes that the door came open, and she came coming into the house to, uh, to console me. She's, she's an awesome wife. But listen, what, what, if, what if it would have been two or three hours later that she showed up? I would have been ticked, right? I would have been like, what is going what is that's not love but that's that's exactly what jesus does he he says he says when he heard that lazarus ill he stays two days longer in the place where he was why why because adversity is the pathway to glory that's why because god's writing a glory story verse 11 after saying these things he being jesus said to them our friend lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. Jesus says, hey, Lazarus is taking a nap. I'm going to go wake him up. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. The disciples are like, he's taking a nap. What's the big deal? He's fine. And now, now it says in verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking a rest in sleep. But then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, right? He's like, guys, he's dead. I know I talk in parables and stories and analogies a lot. I don't mean he's asleep. He's dead, all right? He's dead, dead, dead. And then he says, and for your sake, listen, listen to this, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Like, I, I feel bad for these disciples. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then let's look at Thomas's response in 16. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may, that we may die with them. <laughs> They're like, I don't know what's going on. Jesus is like, oh, Lord, Father, you gave me these guys. <laughs> Jesus' adversity is that he's surrounded by idiots. That's what he's dealing with. All right. Verse 17. The Bible's great. It's awesome. 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. So Martha, Jesus is not yet in Bethany where Lazarus is, he's two miles off. They hear that he's coming, and Martha goes to, 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 to confront Jesus and the Bible says that Mary remained seated in the house. 
And I think Mary is mad. You know, I think she's ticked off. I think she's like, yeah, that, he wants me to go see him. Yeah, right. He, he left. He could have done something about this. He didn't do anything. I'm, not, I'm staying right here, right? Mary, I, I think Mary's mad. And how many of you know there's, there's two kinds of people when it comes to dealing with adversity, right? You got Martha who runs to Jesus, and then you have Mary who runs away from Jesus, right? And I think that's true in our own lives. There's a little nugget for you. You can, you can chew on that a little bit. But, uh, but that's the situation. You got one woman who's, running, who's coming toward Jesus and another woman who's staying back. In verse 21, it says this. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. <laughs> right? She, she doubts. She's like, yeah, he's going to rise again. Not now, later. Yeah, I, I, I get that. And then in 25, Jesus said this to her. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives in and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And so Martha, initially she doubts what, what Jesus is saying, that, that Lazarus is going to live again. And what does Jesus have to do? He has to remind her, give her a fresh reminder of who he is. And look at her response. She says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Jesus reminds her of who he is, and all of a sudden her attitude changes in the midst of adversity. I, I want you to know sometimes when we're facing adversity, we need a good reminder of who Jesus really is, don't we? I, I'm, right now, I'm, I said before, like I'm the youth pastor, and I've always had this dream in my heart that seemed impossible, that um, I've always thought that the greatest place that you could ever have a youth group that you could ever have a youth ministry is inside of a high school. Like, that'd be the greatest place ever. Not on, you're not only, like, that's just, it's not about them coming to you. You're going to them. You're bringing the ministry to where they are, to where it's most convenient, to where they're comfortable, to where it's their ground and their turf. And I've always had this vision and this dream, and, uh, and, 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 but there's always been all this Adversity. There's always been all this. There's, there's no way you can do that. The administration will never let you do that. Schools will never let you do that. And so recently, it, it looks like there might be an opportunity for that door to open and that we might possibly be able to do that. And, and, and so all along the way, it's been like, no way, no way, no way. And I remember the other day, and we were having the meeting with our leadership team, and, 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 and we, were like, we were like, God can do anything. Like, there's no limitation on God. Like, he can do anything. He can open the door for the most amazing youth ministry that ever existed. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know about that, Brad, but it'd be, he could. You know? <laughs> but it's, it'd be, it's arrogant to say. But anyways, an awesome one. A great ministry. And I just had to get, I, I needed a fresh reminder, like, of who God is in the midst of adversity. He is the God of the impossible. He's able to do anything. Do you believe that tonight? And so if you're in adversity, if you're in the midst of adversity, get a fresh reminder of who God is. That's another little nugget. All right, let's move on from there. 28. When she had said this, are y'all still with me? You reading along? She went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here 
and is calling for you. Remember, Mary was back at home. Uh, she, she's, you know, obviously she's sad her brothers died, but she's kind of ticked off of Jesus because he didn't show up. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him, which is pretty far out. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this is the part I want to highlight right here. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. In verse 35, famous verse, Jesus wept. And it says, and so the Jews said, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. Jesus loves them. He really, really loves him. The author here is going at great length to tell you about Jesus' great love for them. These people are in the grip of the trial. They're in the grip of suffering. They're in the grip of pain. They're in the grip of, of bad things happening in the world. And the author wants to highlight that even still, that Jesus loves them. He loves, loves, loves them. And I want to remind you that even if you're in the grip of adversity, Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Don't ever doubt that. And here we see a God who is moved to tears over the sadness of his friends, over the sadness of these people that he has built a relationship with. He's deeply moved. Jesus loves you. He loves you. I can't say it enough. He loves you in the midst of your adversity. Don't doubt that. And in verse 38, it says this. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been there for four days. I don't know about you, but if I leave broccoli in the refrigerator for four days, <laughs> it smells bad, let alone a dead man in a cave for four days. All right. Jesus said to her, that'll stink your whole house up. I'm not joking, but anyways. All right. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the count of of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these, thing, these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. All the adversity, all the drama, all the, the, the emotion is so the God of the comeback stories could unveil, unveil the most amazing thing ever, that a man would come up out of the grave. Jesus declares that the purpose of all of this, all this adversity, all this trial, all this pain, is so that God might be glorified. That it's the greatest glory. Adversity is the pathway to the greatest glory. 
Do y'all hear what I'm saying tonight? God, he, God loves a good comeback, and so do we. God loves a good comeback. It's the narrative to almost every Bible story. Have you ever thought about that? Like, this is the story of every story, right? Abraham's too old to have a kid, but he fathers a nation. Isaac has a deceiving son who steals his brother's birthright blessing, but the wrong son turns out to be the right son. Jacob and his family is facing a worldwide famine, but they are saved by his son Joseph, who becomes the overseer of Egypt. Joseph is sold into slavery, falsely accused, in prison, but he becomes the overseer of the most powerful nation on earth. Israel is enslaved by Egypt for 400 years, sends Moses as a deliverer. Moses is a murderer, he's exiled from Egypt, but he comes back to deliver the people. It's literally every single story. It's a story of adversity and somebody overcoming adversity. And it's the greatest glory. Not only can God not get enough of a good comeback story, but we love a good comeback story too. Let's just be honest. Let's be real. The, two weeks ago, there was a Redskins game <laughs> against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. At the, I know all of you don't understand football, but this is football season. We're going to talk about it, all right? It, the Redskins, and I'm not even a Redskins fan, but it, it was 24-7 to 7 at halftime the Redskins are losing. And the Redskins don't exactly have a great record. They're not known as comeback kings, right? The, like you're, I was looking at the game saying, this game is over. This is sad, right? So then the second half comes, comes in. And all of a sudden, the, the Redskins begin to score. They begin to come back, and the Bucks don't. It got to the point where, and if you don't know what this means, I apologize because it's awesome, but they kick an onside kick in the third quarter and recover it. Who's ever heard of that ever, right? So they, 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 they come all the way back to where it's uh, 24 to 30. They're down. There's two minutes left. Kirk Cousins, not exactly an all-star quarterback, pretty good, brings them all the way down the field, throws a touchdown pass to Jordan Reed, and they win 31-30, right? I came to work the next day, and my friends were like, that was the best game ever, right? Why? It's not like it was the first game the Redskins ever won. No, it's because of how much adversity they overcame to get there. Redskins fans were like throwing parties like they never had before. It was like the most amazing of their life because you know they were sitting there at halftime like, oh, Lord, I'm why am I a Redskins fan? But then they got reinvigorated at the end of the game. We love a good comeback story. And I have one more I want to share with you. And I apologize again, but it has to do with football, but it's a great story. You'll like it, I promise. <laughs> There's a guy. His name's Eric Berry, right? Eric Berry is a three-time Pro Bowler. And in 2013, he was a part of the All-Pro team. But this isn't the headline that brings him the most respect and the most glory. Like, this dude was the man. He was, all pro means you're the best of the best. You are the number one out of everybody in the whole NFL, right? You're the best of the best. Eric Berry was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma in December of 2014 with a mass in his chest. That was just a, a, a less than a, a year ago, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> less than a year ago. He was, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. He had a mass in his chest. This all-pro, this guy's supposed to be invincible. This guy who's an elite athlete. He's got cancer. It's going to end his career. There's no way. It's over. 
Eric had, he had to quit football to undergo treatments, and nobody knew if he would ever play again. He started his chemo treatments. He, he, he started to go through the therapies and everything. And, and Eric's on record as saying, like, he says, going through chemo is a monster. You literally feel like you're dying every day. He said, there were many times I didn't know if I would wake up tomorrow. I would just be up scared to go to sleep. He said one, one of his goals was to do five push-ups. That was his goal. This elite, all-pro athlete. I just want to do five push-ups. Barry said there were times where I would work out and I'd just be crying because I would make it through and I couldn't believe that I made it. It was so hard. It was so hard. And, and, and I want to tell you that just literally eight months later, eight months later on the, on the opening weeks of NFL football, Eric Barry started at free safety. Eight months later, started at free safety. Is that not the most amazing story? His, his, his co-players are recorded to have said, I had a world of respect before Eric Berry had anything to do with cancer for his athletic accomplishments, for his athletic ability. I had the, the utmost respect in him. But now that he's come through this, my respect has skyrocketed. It's skyrocketed. They said when Eric says, man, you got to push harder for this play, it, it, I believe it because I know he's done it, right? And that's what this is all about. Adversity is the pathway to the greatest glory. God loves to see humanity rise from the ashes and stand in victory. God loves it because he loves humanity, and it brings the greatest glory to himself. Whether it's the comeback in this life or the comeback in the next life, he's the victor, right? It's gonna, it, it, he is going to get glory because we will overcome. And never doubt this, that while God is taking you through adversity for his glory, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. It was all throughout the Lazarus story. At every moment, the author wanted you to know over and over again, Jesus loved them. He loved them. He loved them. He loved them. But God is writing a glory story with your, with your life. And don't forget who wrote the best glory story. Jesus Christ wrote the best glory story. He's the one who overcome adversity. He's not asking us to do anything he didn't do first, right? He's asking us to write a story with our lives. And, and up to this point, I'm closing now. I've told you what I want you to know. But this is what I want you to do. If you're in the midst of adversity, I want you to look adversity in the eyes. And I want you to think about Proverbs 24. If you faint in the day, in the day of adversity, your strength is small, small. The righteous fall seven times, but he rises again. I want you to look adversity in the eye and say, I will not faint in the day of adversity. I am strong in Christ. And though I fall seven times, I will rise again. I know that God's love for me is never ending. And he's going to use my life to write a glory story written to the only one who's worthy of that glory story, to the one who already wrote me a glory story on the cross and is going to honor him. And he, the God in heaven, is going to love it. Can you imagine that concept? 
the God in heaven is going to love the story that I'm writing with my life. Adversity is the greatest pathway to glory. Let's pray tonight.